Good morning. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Psalm 44, where we'll be continuing in our summer series. But before we dive in, I I do want to comment on on the email that we had sent out this past week, this past Wednesday, sharing the news um, that Pastor Joe has answered the call to transition out of his role here at Grace as the associate pastor and to assume a role as a senior pastor uh, of a church in Englewood um, called Joy Christian Fellowship. And as I tried to convey in the uh, email, the only way I can truly describe it as trite and cliche as it might sound is that this comes with a mixture of emotions for me uh, and for us. And um, maybe you've processed similarly that multiple things can be true at the same time. Um, On one end, uh, I am grieved in preparing to see Joe and his family go, uh, not only as pastor and his impact in the ministry here at Grace, but as a friend and uh, someone who the staff and I has really enjoyed working with. And, and then at the same time, uh, I truly do celebrate the gifting and, and the calling upon his life to be a lead shepherd of a local congregation. And, you know, one of the reasons why uh, a couple times a month we pray in our congregational prayer for other local churches in this area by name and for their pastors is because we want to be reminded of ourselves that Grace Church is not an island. Uh, that we are not the only local church that is preaching the gospel in this area, that by God's grace there are many uh, healthy, growing, uh, gospel-centered churches that we are in the midst of, and we generally care about the kingdom of God in North Jersey. And so I celebrate the fact that I believe the kingdom of God is strengthened with Joe as a senior pastor in a church in our area. Um, and so um, along the same lines, Joe has, uh, some of you might know, or if you're newer, you might not know, that Joe has been on staff for a year and a half. And, and again, the dual truth with that, that, that that's a fast transition, right? Like, like we, we readily recognize that, that that was not lost on he and Helen as they prayed and discerned this call. It's okay to say that. That's a fast transition. It's a faster transition than maybe uh, they had intended upon their coming in and that we had intended upon uh, bringing them in. Uh, and that's true while right alongside it, uh, I can say unequivocally that I personally and this church is better off today in July 2022 because Joe came on staff in December 2020 and, and has been with us during that time. And, and so hopefully you kind of see what I mean. It's just mixture of emotions. Uh, whatever we're feeling, I can guarantee you Joe and Helen are feeling that at an even deeper level. And, and so I, I also just want to uh, take the opportunity to acknowledge that, that perhaps um, uh, there has been a thought, and I wouldn't even kind of blame you if there's kind of a thought that you kind of had of, 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 of are they being really transparent here? Um, what's the real story, quote unquote? Uh, perhaps you have history with churches not being fully transparent with decisions and leadership uh, transitions. And, and so I do just want to say, before you, with, with elders and staff in the room, with, with Joe sitting right here, uh, there, there is no quote-unquote real story we're not telling. Um, that, that there was no kind of underlying tension. Um, I mean, we're wearing the same shirt today, all right? I mean, like, that's how just dialed in we are uh, and have been um, with one another. And so, uh, again, I don't blame you. Maybe you're kind of a natural skeptic like I am in some areas where you're kind of like just a thought popped in your head of like, what's really kind of going on here? Uh, I, I can assure you uh, that this is being fully transparent and, and that we are going to miss him deeply. And we are happy for them as he answers the call to be a senior pastor of a local congregation. And so um, just know that God is working in his church and that is happening here and it's happening elsewhere. And while later this summer, Joe will no longer be on staff at Grace, 
uh, he will continue to be a partner in gospel ministry for Grace Church. He will continue to be a friend of Grace Church, um, and, and, I, and he will grow in faithfulness. I pray that God will grow us in faithfulness because we are also confident as we move forward that he will lead us into the future as we kind of discern next steps for us. And, um, and, and we want to be found faithful at Grace Church. And if the Lord continues to choose to continue to grow us numerically, we want to steward that growth and steward it well for his glory, which includes uh, staffing decisions moving forward. So if you did not get a chance to read that email, maybe you just heard that for the first time, uh, please go back and do so. Uh, it was sent on Wednesday morning, um, and then included in that, along with a note from me, there's a letter from, Jer uh, from Joe uh, that, where he shared more of his heart and his process of discernment with this decision. Um, but kind of looking forward, um, August 14th will be Joe's last Sunday. And we're going to transition well this summer. He, he's fully kind of uh, still immersed in the ministry here. He's going to be finishing his men's class this summer. Uh, he's slayed to think, I think, to preach three more times before then. Um, and so he will have the opportunity uh, to, uh, to share and still minister to us during this transition. Um, and then after the service today, uh, whichever elders are in the service will just be up front. If, if you have any questions, if you want to discuss that more, obviously you can also talk to Joe and I. We want to be transparent as possible. So if you want to process that, talk about it, ask any questions, uh, there'll be an opportunity for that as well. Um, but finally and most importantly, just be praying. Ask that you be faithful and just be praying for Joe and Helen and Alan and Annie and Ari uh, as they prepare to transition. And then ask you to be praying for us at, at Grace and the leadership here as we also just discern kind of what's next for, for Grace Church. All right, well, let's dive it back into our series. We are doing a summer series in the book of Psalms. This is the third summer since I've become the senior pastor that we've spent the summer in Psalms. And how we have generally approached it is to select a cross-section of psalms from various categories in the Psalter. So if you're not, maybe not overly familiar with the Bible, uh, the psalms is uh, one of the easiest books to find in the Bible because you have like Genesis at the beginning, Revelation at the end. And if you just go to the center of your Bible and just open it, you're probably in psalms. All right, so you can kind of find your way and navigate it there. Um, but psalms are, there are 150. And they were written for the purpose of corporate gatherings of Israel in the Old Testament where they would be sung or they would be recited by the people of God. So they are the songbook of the Bible. And you can break the Psalms into generally six categories uh, of themes. And I'll have them up on the screen because uh, this is how we kind of preach through them. We try to get a cross-section of these themes uh, from praise to lament to confidence thanksgiving, divine kingship, and wisdom. We began last week with Psalm 145, which was a psalm of praise. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 44, which is a psalm of lament. Nearly half of the 150 psalms can be categorized as a lament psalm. Which, if you think about that, that says something in and of itself. That the people of God live and inhabit a fallen world where there is suffering. But Psalm 44 is likely, I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to say this is likely not very familiar to you. It's virtually never sung about. You have very few songs that may be based on Psalm 44. It's very rarely quoted. It's not going to be displayed on pretty paintings in people's living rooms. 
I'm not against pretty paintings in living rooms and offices. I have one. But you're probably not going to see Psalm 44 in many. It doesn't make it on to too many social media posts or Instagram stories. And yet, I think we will find by the end that it is among the most comforting psalms to hear as you navigate life in a fallen world. Psalm 44 is for the moments or seasons when faith is called upon to fill the gap between what you know in your head and what you currently feel in your heart. Do you know what I mean when I I say the gap? The gap between what you have learned about God and what you are currently experiencing with God. What should we do when that gap emerges in our lives? How do you handle being disappointed with God? I think Psalm 44 will help. So we are actually going to read the entire thing um, up front, verses 1 through 26, because I want us to see kind of the, uh, the flow of this psalm all together. It's on page 470 of the Blue Pew Bible. If you can follow along there, it will also be on the screen. Psalm 44. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did, they own, did their own arms save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Though through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us, and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back. Nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 44. May not be at the top of anyone's list when it comes to favorite psalms. But I do think it is near the top of the list of the most needed psalms. 
because life is full of disappointments. And many of those disappointments, if we're honest, will be directed towards God himself. It won't be rooted in a doubt of belief in him, of who he is, of what he has done in history, what he has even done in your own life in the past. But it will be a question of what is he doing now? Where is he? Why now? How can this help? What is the point of you fill in the blank? It's the kind of questions that we often feel, but are also often afraid to admit, especially around other Christians, especially in the church. We're going to break this psalm down into four sections to kind of understand what are we to do when we feel this gap in our lives. Number one, the importance of foundational knowledge. Psalm 44 is unique in that it does not seem like a lament at first. Most psalms of lament start with agony and suffering. You know right out of the gate that this person is upset. And then it leads to a recounting to God's work after that. But Psalm 44 flips it. It's a little disorienting. In verses 1 through 8, you would think if it ended there, that's a psalm you could find in your Bible. That's a psalm of praise. Because the psalmist begins by recounting all that God has done for Israel in the past. It says, O oh God, we have heard with our ears and our fathers have told us. Israel, like all ancient cultures, relied on the power and accuracy of oral tradition. Of generations passing down the works and attributes of God from one generation to another which I can't help but pause and remind you of last week, of Psalm 145, where we talked about the vital importance of passing down the faith from one generation to another. The author of this psalm has a foundation and a foundational knowledge because he benefited from having faithful parents and or other adults in the community that told him of the story of God's faithfulness. And that intentional storytelling from one generation to the next not only serves as the fuel for praise, as it did last week in Psalm 145, but it also serves as the foundation to endure lament, which we're going to see this week. And, and throughout the scripture, the two, not the only places, but the two primary places that God has ordained for this storytelling to happen is in the home and in the local church. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says on this verse in a way that he can only say in a gripping way, he says, quote, tongue-tied fathers leads to sin-tied children. And then I continually yearn and for a church culture where honestly we have so many people serving and wanting to serve in our kids and youth ministries that we'd have to turn people away. Because what an opportunity we have to play a part in raising the next generation, to provide fuel for them to praise God, and to provide a foundational for them to endure lament towards God. And these are such vital years as you see them file out the room each week. They're such vital years as the youth ministry gathers next door. And what we say as a church is that everyone can participate 
And we don't say that as a guilting, but we say that as an imploring us together that serving to raise the next generation of children and youth in your local congregation, it's not about skill or gifting as much as it's about time and desire. But this psalmist specifically recounts God's past work of driving out the enemy nations in the promised land after they were freed from Egypt, saving his people, clearing the way for his people. Why did he do that? Because, as he writes in the end of verse 3, for you delighted in them. We hear often Pastor Joe start the congregational prayer saying that we have a father who delights to hear from his people. God saves by his grace, not begrudgingly, for he delights in those whom he saves. And I lament that I see so many Christians who fail to grasp that the Lord delights in them. And then verse 4, the psalmist doesn't even stop on recounting like ancient history, but he talks about it in his own life. He says, verse 4, for you are my king, O God. Verse 7, you have saved us from our foes, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. Okay, the struggle in Psalm 44 is not a struggle of belief in God. It's not a struggle in faith in his own salvation. He is on sturdy ground when it comes to remembering who God is and what God has done in his life. He knows when it comes to the saving work of God, it is the work of God that is primary and the work of man that is secondary. Both are needed, but do not mix up the order. God moves first. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, by his grace. The Holy Spirit moves to bring us to conviction of sin, of our need of a Savior. That's God's work. It is the primary work of salvation. And then our work, it is necessary, but it's not primary. It's necessary, but it is secondary, where we repent of our sin, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ in response to what he has done for us. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, his death is our death by faith. His victory is our victory by faith. But we didn't go to him first. He came to us. He came to the door of your soul, and he knocked. And by God's grace, we responded and opened the door. First, in the psalm of lament, there is a foundational knowledge in place. Let's keep going to number two. The second kind of stage here is experiential absence. Experiential absence. In verse nine, everything turns. In verse nine, the gap emerges. The gap emerges of how he writes, quote, but you have rejected us and disgraced us. Here's the gap. You have heard how God is working and has worked in other people's lives. You believe in him and who he has revealed himself to be. You have entrusted your life to him. And you've heard of miracles and blessings and fruitful lives where the Lord seems to be blazing the trail for others. And there might be even times in your own life that you can look back in your Christian life and go, the Lord has even blazed the trail for me at times. And there's been blessing and there's been prosperity in the past. And then sometimes... He doesn't. And he isn't now. 
and it hurts. And this is an elongated, almost painful stretch of the psalm to read. It's an elongated ache of absence that goes all the way to verse 22. If your Bible's still open, look at verses 9 to 14. Look how he starts all those verses. Look at the word at the beginning of all of them. The verses start with, you, you have made us turn back. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. You have sold your people. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors. You have made us a laughing stock. This is raw, bitter disappointment, not first with other people, not with himself, not with his circumstances, not with the news in the world. This is primarily disappointment with God. What do you do when you were disappointed with God? Now, we're not specifically told what is causing the heartache of the psalmist. There are various reasons why someone might feel the gap. There might be various reasons why someone might feel distant from God. It could be, and there's certain psalms that speak to a, a specific or habitual sin that we're unwilling to give up. And we're trying to cling to the sin while also trying to maintain a relationship with God, and we think we have it under control, and it's like, it's like trying to steer something that's overpowering us, and it's throwing us off the trail, but we think we got it, and then over time we realize we don't got it. And it's the suffering of separation. And that's a reason for distance, reason for a gap. But I don't think that's the case in Psalm 44. Look again, verse 18. He says, our heart has not turned back. Our steps haven't departed from your way. Verse 20, if we had forgotten you, God, wouldn't you have discovered this? Wouldn't you have revealed this to us? It's not the case here. Verse 22 Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. It seems, it appears to indicate that the suffering is coming as a result of persecution. It's actually because they are following God that they are now experiencing trial and suffer that's making them now feel betrayed by God. When you recognize the gap, the gap between what you believe and know to be true about God and what you are currently experiencing with God. Yes, we ought to search our hearts, ask God like he did to reveal anything in us that might be causing this, any kind of sin or way that we're not living according to his word. But know that it's possible. That trial and disappointment is not due to anything you have done. It's even possible that it's due to your very faithfulness towards God that you are now experiencing the gap and suffering in this world. You know what I mean when I say you don't see Psalm 44 quoted too much. There's a whole host, an industry of prosperity gospel preachers and authors who will never touch Psalm 44. They wouldn't know what to do with it. There's no books written on it because that message won't sell. Follow God. It could lead to seasons of disappointment. Not hitting the New York Times list. It's not getting a show on network television. But when we read this, here's what we know. In our sorrow, we concede to the fact that God either allowed affliction to come upon us or appointed that affliction to come upon us. 
always for our good, always for his glory. And we may very well not be able to connect those dots in the moment or maybe ever. Uh, there's a pastor you might have heard of, Randy Alcorn. Um, he, he's most known, I think, for his book called Heaven. Pastor, author of several books. He, he talked about how several years ago, for no apparent reason, he went through a season of deep depression for four months. And he didn't elevate his trial about others. He knows that for some that's nothing, for some that might be significant. But for him, it, it was significant because it came out of nowhere. He does not know why it happened. And then it gradually went away. And to this day, again, he doesn't know why it came or why necessarily it went. He cannot point to anything definitive and go, I know it happened because of this. And therefore, he has no confidence that it won't happen again. And he wrote this, and I'll have the, um, I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not, but he said this, quote, Waiting on God involves learning to lay our questions before him. It means that there is something better than knowing all the answers. Knowing and trusting the only one who does know and will never forsake us. Listen to this. He finishes with, token faith will not survive the dark night of the soul. Token nominal faith will not survive the dark night of the soul. This is experiential absence, which leads now to number three. Profound anguish. Read verse 23 again. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? These questions laid before the Lord, again, I want to remind us, are not rooted in a doubt of belief, but rather in a doubt of presence. It's not that he didn't believe the greatness of God. It's not that he didn't believe in the saving power of God. It's that he did not understand what God was doing now, in this moment. I can't help when I read this, maybe you were reminded of this, of the story in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is in a boat crossing from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other with his disciples. Mark chapter 4, verse 37 says this, And a great windstorm came, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Translation, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? The disciples in this moment, they did not doubt who Jesus was. They didn't doubt his teaching. They've seen him work miracles with their own eyes. They've heard his wisdom. They were literally following him in the boat to travel with him. That wasn't the issue. The issue was they did not understand what he was doing in the moment. Why are you sleeping? There was a gap that emerged in their minds and in their hearts. And you need to know, and many of you, if not most of you, do know, that no longer how mature in the faith you are, no longer how long you've been walking with the Lord, the gap between what you know and what you're experiencing can be surprisingly large. Amen? It can be surprisingly disorienting. And then you start having thoughts of, I'm supposed to be an elder in this church, and I'm, I'm dealing with this gap. 
I'm supposed to be teaching. I'm discipling younger women. I'm, I have a voice. They rely on me. I'm a mature believer. And then you're wrestling with this gap of what you've always known to be true, but in the moment you're going, why are you sleeping? It can be disorienting in ourselves. It can also be disorienting when you see it happening in others. Uh, the chances are, for, for, for most of us, especially if we're committed members to a local church community that proactively seeks to bear one another's burdens, like we talked about in Galatians 6, chances are you are going to be walking with people who are suffering more than you might suffer yourself. And when we see and feel a gap emerge in others, we can unfortunately immediately resort to trying to persuade them, to quote verses at them, to tell them, hey, you don't need to be disappointed with God. You know better than that. And out of maybe a genuine desire to help, it comes across as condemnation of someone who's in the gap. You cannot persuade someone who's in the midst of severe agony and utter disappointment with God that they should not be in agony. But you can stand by them. You can let them know you're there. You can trust that in time, God will empower you to speak what is necessary if and when the Spirit leads you to. You can't be God in those moments, but you can be powerfully used by God, first and foremost, by being there. If you reflect on times of significant suffering in your life, you might not remember what everyone told you in those moments. You might not remember the sermon or the podcast or the song that kind of God used, but you probably remember those in your life who were there. They were there. And so when this trial comes upon others, let us be there. And when this trial comes upon you, when you experience what Alcorn described as the dark night of the soul, the profound anguish of feeling abandoned by God, it might surprise you, but what do we do? And that leads to last, number four. Prayerful confidence. The final section of this important psalm is the final two lines. Again, if Bible's open, look down. The final two lines. For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 44 does not end with a resolution. It doesn't end with triumph. It does not end in victory, as we might think about it. We don't know if this psalmist's trial ended soon after he wrote this. We don't know if it ended at all or how long it might have took. And yet, he does not merely say, this is important, he does not merely say, you know what, I'm a Christian, I know everything's going to work out in the sense that we often hear and speak to one another. Everything's going to be okay. That's not his line. This is not a, a, a kind of a, um, an education of positive thinking. Think positively and everything will work out. It's not positive thinking, but it is prayerful confidence. Again, got to go back to Spurgeon, who says that this final prayer is, quote, simple, to the point, and urgent, as all prayers should be. And this is why Psalm 44, again, it might not be a favorite for most of us. It is needed for all of us. God knows that disappointment 
is part of the relationship with him. He knows. He is God enough to handle our disappointment, to handle our questions without anger and frustration towards us. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways, and he knows that life comes with disappointment. It's all over. And since God knows the gap will exist, we are encouraged through his word. We are even implored to cry out to him when we experience it. We can cry out to God in our confusion without sinning. It's not a sin to cry out to God in confusion. So how do you handle the gap between what you know about God and what you're currently experiencing with God? You bring the gap to him. You don't have to cover it on your own and then return. You bring the gap to him. The psalmist knew that God rescued in the past and his commitment to his covenant was relying on that past foundational truth that his father has passed down to him to pull him out of the present darkness. If you want to sum up Psalm 44, you can sum it up in this line. I could have just said the whole sermon in this line and close in prayer. Ready? God is good. My soul is shaken. This world is broken, and I will rely on him. God is good. My soul is shaken. This world is broken, and I will rely on him. There's a saying that I don't know who first said it, but I think about it often. I think it is apt for this moment. The saying is this, never forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Never forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. When you experience the dark night of the soul, never forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And when you learn about God and you're reminded about God, when 100 kids are going to file into this room and they're going to have a blast and be absolutely off their rocker, and then they're going to learn about God, the benefit's not just what happens now, it's these seeds that are planted that when they endure lament down the road, they will have the foundational knowledge that was shared with them in the light for when they walk through the darkness. And it's the same for us. Because today we will face disappointment with God similar to the psalmist in Psalm 44. But there is a vital, important difference and advantage that we have today that this psalmist did not have when he wrote this down. The psalmist prayed in ending, God, rise up. Come to our help and redeem. Church, this is not a trick question. Who is it that rose up? Who is it that came to our help? Who is it who redeemed with steadfast love? Our hope in God that we sang in the psalm of lament this morning extends beyond what God has done for Israel in the promised land after they were freed from Egypt. And it lands upon the person and work of Jesus Christ who saved us from the slavery of sin. The true ending of Psalm 44, along with the rest of the Old Testament, is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Grace Church, Jesus experienced the gap. And he experienced it on the cross for our sake. When in direct fulfillment to another psalm, Psalm 22, verse 1, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus, who by his death redeemed us with his steadfast love. Jesus, who because he died, removed the sting of death for us. Jesus, who rose up and declared victory over the grave so that those who place their faith in him shall too rise. In Romans chapter 8, the chapter of victory, one of the best chapters in the Bible, it starts with the line giving the statement that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then it ends with the fact that nothing in creation, nothing in creation shall separate us from the love of us, love of God in Christ Jesus for us. It ends with the truth that in Christ we are more than conquerors, and nothing, not even death, can keep us from God. Hear me, of everything Paul could have quoted at the climax of Romans chapter 8 to declare our victory, do you know what he quoted? Psalm 44, a psalm of lament, because in Christ, all that is sad will be made untrue. I want to finish with a story that Tim Keller wrote in his book on suffering about Donald Gray Barnhouse, and I'll read it here. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years, lost his wife when his daughter was still a child. Dr. Barnhouse was trying to help his little girl and himself process the loss of his wife and her mother. Once, when they were driving, a huge moving truck passed them. As it passed, the shadow of the truck swept over the car, and the minister had a thought. And he said something like this, Would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? His daughter replied, By the shadow, of course. That can't hurt us at all. Dr. Barnhouse replied, Right. If the truck doesn't hit you, but only its shadow, then you are fine. Well, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She's actually alive. More alive than we are. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck of death hit Jesus. And because death crushed Jesus and we believe in him, now the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is but my entrance into glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your entire word, Lord, even the psalms that are disorienting, even ones that feel strange to dig into and glean from, Lord, and I pray that your spirit would be active not only in our hearts now, but as we move on from here, that Psalm 44 might not be the psalm we wanted, but it is the psalm we need. I thank you, Lord, that it is but a shadow of evil and death that passes over us, Lord, and there is real lament in those seasons, but it is not the final word. Remind us of this, Lord. Give us the courage to face the day. Give us the courage to walk alongside others who are in agony and let it all be for your glory. And above all, Lord, let it deepen our trust in you and in your son. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's rise and respond in song.